This podcast is sponsored by eBay Canada. eBay Canada has been supporting Canadian small business retailers for 25 years. With their up-and-running program, you can access eBay's 180-plus million buyers in 190 countries around the world. With up-and-running, there are no listing fees on up to 200 listings per month, and you only pay fees when you sell. As part of the eBay community, you get real-time advice and inspiration and access to powerful selling tools and insights. Go to ebay.ca forward slash up and running, stay local and sell global. Welcome to Canada's podcast, the number one podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. Hi, this is Angela Fay coming to you from Canada's podcast today with Brandy Gallagher from Our Eco Village. I'm going to let Brandy explain a little bit about what OUR stands for, uh, but let's kick off right away with a little bit about your entrepreneurial story, Brandy. Well, my entrepreneurial story leads me to being nowhere else <laughs> other than our eco-village that I could end up. Um, my early roots are being raised kind of in the wilderness and what became um, a family kind of homestead into becoming Whistler Mountain international ski resort and um, my family including a father who was like uh, the head of the ratepayers association for Whistler as it developed so I was always in the midst of the visionaries um, the ones who were willing to go out into the wild and make stuff happen and I think that is the big journey about um, if we want to call that entrepreneurial but um, creating the possibilities in life that we know we all need to make happen, especially now. And our eco-village uh, is a great example of that and pulling together many experiences, possibilities, and people into one place. Awesome. Brady, can you give me a description? I, we, I mean, for those of us who are skiers and have been to, to, or mountain bikers and have been to Whistler, we know that it's massive. And the reality is our eco-village is actually a smaller version, right? You've got lots going on. Can you describe the physical scene of what's happening there? Yeah, well, I want to just point out that um, my early um, underpinnings of this, I was, my family owned Brandywine Falls Provincial Park, and thus my name. Um, so when you're named after place, and we use this term placemaking all the time. Mm. When you are raised in the environment of land protectors and land stewards, um, I think people naturally gravitate together. How can community come together and make something happen? How do we live with and protect the land and the natural mm. ecosystems? Um, how does that become viable? And um, what happens when the whole world shows up to the party? And uh, I mean that in the sense of how do we calculate our footprint in the world? And so a lot of that is the work we do here at our eco-village. And again, just describe the physical setting. How physically big is the space? What's, what's in the village? So we're in Shawnigan Lake. We're a 25-acre regenerative living demonstration site and education center. And within the property, we're actually um, part of a land use zoning that is very unique and unusual uh, that we created in 2002. We're a comprehensive development zone. We're a park, we're a school, we're an organic farm, we're a residential village. And we have um, businesses related to agriculture, for-profit, non-profit, 
we're kind of like a community commons with multiple mm -hmm. stakeholders, multiple organizations that utilize the space and all those different activities that I described to you. So, you know, some people are very much into food security. Other people are doing um, research and design for ecological built environments. Uh, there's really quite a range of human, social, economic, and ecological wow. uh, regenerative living that happens on site. We're also really renowned for having very interesting and um, curvilinear little hob, uh, um, hobbit home, cob homes on site. <laughs> so our buildings are hand sculpted and very beautiful as well. Wow, fantastic. Now, you don't hear that very often in actual functioning uh, business practices where the human the social, the economic, and ecological are all intertwined. I just, I love it. I, I mean, you, you know, I've talked about me coming down for a visit. I can't wait to do that. One thing I would like to, can, can we talk about Shawnigan Lake? You talked about the zoning a little bit. Why is Vancouver Island, what are the opportunities here that has led to this unique eco-village? Mm, yeah, so Shawnigan is part of the Cowichan Valley Regional District. Mm -hmm. And um, I have to say that a lot of uh, credit needs to go to the CBRD for their kind of very forward thinking in helping create allowances for uh, regulatory processes and environmental and ecological design. So from land use zoning, uh, working with building officials, working um, from local government to provincial and even federal government, on innovation, uh, climate change adaptation strategies, all kinds of systems that we have built into the demonstration site. Um, they're kind of engineered models. We have teams of professional engineers and designers that come together from across the country. And um, the Cowichan has kind of become a mecca of ecological mm -hmm. design and um, food systems. Actually, I would say the island as well but we're we're kind of we are as a bioregion a mecca of environmentally designed life nice i love it now of course as you and i were talking in our introductory call i'm so excited about it i'm like why isn't this happening everywhere right why 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 aren't there more municipal governments progressive you know on this innovation style of things it is it scalable Oh, it's totally scalable. There's 10,000 eco-villages and sustainable community projects around the world and growing consistently. Um, curiously, during the advent of COVID, I think it's become a logical progression mm. for uh, community, never mind government, to see that this mm -hmm. is an ethical and very healthy way to live. One, we need to be mutually resourcing each other way more um, as individuals and organizations, uh, but also that uh, in terms of just the effort of living sustainably, growing food, uh, raising our kids, education, and trying to navigate school systems right now, being hyper-local in our efforts um, really means that teaming up with each other, cooperating, uh, with individual and organizational efforts is almost imperative at this point. So what Absolutely. was once 
um, something that is happening around the world and culturally might be the norm uh, much more obviously in places other than North America. I think now in Canada, we're seeing an upsurge. Like we have 85% more traffic inquiring how we might help replicate this place with other I people. love it. Yeah, and people, people are urgent. They are urgent. Okay, so who, where are you getting the inquiries from, Brandy? I'm curious. Who who's who's making those calls? Who's the one? Who are the leaders of that transition? You know, it's not. It's everyone's leading. So right. there, there's groups of families that are saying, "We just need to cooperate together and just pool our abilities yeah. and start doing this together." How did you? And they'll phone and ask, "How can we rezone our farm?" Um, it could be community individuals that are saying, we need to move this forward. How can we fast track replicating things more quickly and, and get allowances for the legal and the regulatory process? Um, I'd say government is looking. I'd say farmers are looking. If you know, There's such a shortage of farm support and farm labor uh, with COVID happening. There's a desperation for how can people work together better? Um, and I think government overall is realizing as we have systemic challenges and, and economic and business challenges that redesigning for cooperation is, again, it's essential. What do you believe is the, and I, I kind of describe it as, you know, there's a, there's a circle of systems, if you like, and, and institutions that we have, whether it's education, training, um, governments that, that are here. And, and we know that we want to make this change. So we make this, you know, a few small steps to get 10% improvement. Uh, and then you have the mindset of, you know, the futurists who say, you know, actually, we need to completely redesign something with a little bit of ignorance and, and uh, in a good way, a blissful ignorance, if you like, and redesign it from scratch and then we'll get tenfold the uptake and the the momentum of adoption versus the 10% marginal improvement if you and I which you know we're going okay let's if we could scale this and fast track it and, and answer some of those questions what are the two or three things that need to be in place to achieve this redesign let's you know, get tenfold the uptake of the concept of an eco-village in a hyper-local environment. What do you think needs to be there? What are the foundations? We could start by noticing that so much of how we speak of design and community development is based in kind of a polarized notion of we do this or that. Um, I think now we're starting to suggest we need both and. So we need both the, the ramping up and the change process going on, and we need the brand new model to be um, experimenting, if you will, right alongside of this ramping uh, and escalation process. So go for the 10% and go for the complete change simultaneously. Mm -hmm. um, you know, instead of dismantling a system and watching it not work so well while you do that, build something up alongside and do change yeah. and and that offers something that gives a bit more of a security net in that case 
you know, what we're talking about isn't all that innovative. It's happening all over the world. Our great challenge, perhaps, is in integrating our systems, integrating organizations, and again, creating collaboration. And, you know, corporate models of business and, and sole proprietorship is often based in a competitive market. If you went to Italy, for example, places like Emilia Romano, where the, the whole community is based on cooperation between co-ops, it's a cultural way of being that your family has the best dairy for generations and my family makes the best Parmigiano, that uh, I'm, we're going to cooperate. We're not in competition. And to yes. shift the mindset, perhaps, of businesses and corporate stakeholders to start to cooperate and collectivize ourselves, but also to bring in academia. You know, there's there's research and design and modeling all over the world that can support that kind of shift change um, and have government on side incentivizing that kind of collective um, behavioral mm -hmm. change and maybe taxing the heck out of those who can't cooperate yet in the design model. And so within that, um, there's also really getting the, the kind of on the ground businesses as well. I just want to touch on, uh, you know, the rational business system transition it, that you are a, the Eco Village is a co-op. This is interesting because in Canada, we have um, co-op models that are, that are pretty innovative. So we're a nonprofit. It's called a community services, multi-stakeholder co-op. And you can design co-ops that are a bit hybridized in Canada. And it allows for multiple um, stakeholders to be involved in one framework for cooperation. And in our case, we're, we're here to serve the community as a nonprofit. Mm -hmm. No business is the one that profits only, and we have to be serving the social and environmental justice of the wider community. And yet everybody then can share in the ability to do business. This podcast is sponsored by eBay Canada. eBay Canada is powering Canadian small businesses. Go to ebay.ca forward slash up and running to open your new global e-commerce business. So, and, and uh, playing just devil's advocate for a little sec or more the curious entrepreneur is cash flow is king and, you know, it just making sure that we're at least breaking even or having a little bit of a profit to invoke where does your revenue come from? Where are your expenses there? And what does the bottom line look like? I want to say one thing before we go there. Everybody is starting to turn their heads towards co-working spaces. So we know those in urban you know, spaces really well. And people are starting to see how they're trading off resources. And mm -hmm. um, you know, perhaps from administration to just infrastructure in your workspace. Those are obvious. Um, how do we cut costs? share resources, switch that over to not just an office environment or a, a coffee bar kind of get together mm -hmm. space and start to think of how you can do that with whole towns. Love and, it. Yes. What if yes. the city of XYZ was a co-working space? And so now we start to administrate things collectively. So Again, you're looking for the needs and yields in the situation when you design that. 
how that looks here at our eco village is i mean on a very obvious level we can do outreach for the entire grouping of organizations mm -hmm. and or individuals sharing somebody who can run around on one bookkeeping system and yes. um, have one really amazing accountant who knows how to do corporate and other then now you're buying services products uh whatever you might be using for business and you can scale your purchase so you could hire one person to work for many organizations instead of getting one of their five days a week yeah and then they're shifting hats all the time in and for that day versus in their day they can probably be more responsive if they can do acme this and such and such limited that and you know Jane Doe's little individual business. Um, and then also can see where people that are administrating things can say to the other stakeholder, did you know this is happening? You guys might want to work together on this. And again, if whole towns could do that now, the hyper-local um, element, I'm, I would notice that the Chamber of Commerces in BC have been very responsive since COVID um began mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. started to outreach for whole groups of businesses um you know both yeah. uh small business and 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 larger businesses but you know london drugs put on a local shelf uh and sold everything for local people because folks were able to go mm -hmm. in the door of the drugstore those kind of things in community they don't cost us a lot to cooperate in fact, the savings, can, you know, and our bottom line can actually change the profit margin by quite a large amount. Exactly. So I'm going to go back to my initial question, which hopefully is, is insight as opposed to scary question. Um, just give me an idea of revenues and, and I'm, I'm pure, pure currency and economics here. Obviously, the, the human and social value, I'm guessing, is hundredfold this but just the on the economic side of things revenue expenses um where do they come from what how are we measuring success from the pure money financial side of things um i can speak for the co-op itself so the co-op actually has revenue from giving un way under market value space utilization you want to come in and have an event here or it will backdrop your whole organization into an immersed learning environment with alternative wastewater, organic food served, mm -hmm. um, buildings that are very unique and ecologically designed that are kind of playing on people in their subconscious even. And then you might have, we have a lot of K to 12 programs here. Okay. For groups. Obviously mm -hmm. not right now. Uh, we have 13 universities and colleges that utilize the space. We do a lot of research and design work. We have food systems that mostly break even. So uh, I okay. would say that if you looked at the, the services or fees for services out in the wider business world, we're always a couple points under it. And we still probably bring in 20% better than break even. Nice. Yeah, that fluctuates, of course, but you're constantly able to design within that somewhat and still offer a brilliant 
space that is unlike anything else in Canada for people to then build their economics from as well. So I'm, I'm hearing democratization has led to demonetization, right? Meaning it's much more even keel and yet we're, we're getting this amazing, fantastic shared experience. Right. And okay. You know, interestingly yeah. in this setting, because we're a nonprofit educational enterprise, we have volunteers who are normally here from around the world. They're contributing, like I, we're a magnet for engineers and people who will bring professional services, lawyers who volunteer for us, people that bring in really high level skills and yet um, do not actually a cost into the financing. And if you were to put a dollar value to that on um, a balance sheet or a, a, yep. a profit and loss, and you actually paid the people for what was happening there, there would be an amazing level of, mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. different monetization going. So the whole idea of doing a triple bottom line accounting on this kind of um, balance sheet is very different way to look at. Of course. Business. So I have a, I have a question. I'm, I'm totally envisioning now uh, inviting municipalities and a collect small collective groups of stakeholders to the eco village you know how many could you handle if we if we set up these visits what would you is that something you'd like to encourage i can tell you that we've had 850 people for lunch before <laughs> so yeah. we can do this yeah well that was feast of fields and it's a it's a fundraiser for farmers that's done across bc moves around different farms and it brings chefs and breweries and distilleries and educators around food all together for an afternoon and to go village um here is a really great experience for people it's way beyond going to a farm that it's very um it's kind of like a space out of time but in yeah. the same time it's very high tech and innovative in different mm -hmm. ways uh, there's a lot of complexity here so that really lights people up they leave they're like da, 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 after their experience so we we can do those kind of events we've dropped corporate retreat groups into the space there's something about deconstructing mm -hmm. uh the norming patterns in certain teams and getting them out of their comfort zone or their Absolutely. norm bringing them through a process and doing like trust building and team building together in a in an innovative environment that actually feels like it expedites things but essentially whoever comes down this driveway becomes a learner so whether you're from an organization uh whether you're traveling from across the world we have airbnb here um mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It could be that you showed up for a government conference that we're holding on site. We've done trainings with government. Um, it could be that your university program is giving you credit to be here, which we do a lot of. So however you show up, we can go large, small. We can do very Lovely. focused our own curriculum. Uh, other people, organizations bring in their own program. Uh, so it's, it's pretty uh, custom designed in a way too. Right. And question, uh, we talked about, you, you said there were like 10,000 eco villages worldwide. Any sense, Brandy, of what, what, how many we have in Canada? Um, generally we talk about sort of eight to 10. Um, eight to 10 in Canada. Yeah. So if, if we were to set a new goal, 
I'm just, we're, we're going right, to help carve a pathway for the future. What do you think is realistic in the next, uh, let's pick a random time frame. What, 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 would you, what would you like to see happen if you could wave a magic wand? Right now, I think everywhere should become an eco-village. And, and, and then I wouldn't even put a number on it. I would just right. say all and any. Um, mostly because a neighborhood could revillage. We don't need to go buy a farm in Shawnigan Lake and build 10 houses and become an eco-village. There is an eco-village in downtown LA and East End LA that has just bought up existing tenement buildings. They produce an unbelievable amount of food right in the most unlikely space and have dropped wow. violent crime by an unprecedented amount. Um, there's 5,000 person large eco-villages in India. Um, it could be large, it could be small, it could be urban, it could be rural. But right now, particularly when you're trying to pod in the middle of pandemics, it easily could and, and needs to be a cul-de-sac on your street. I love it. If everybody just started to help with raising food, resourcing things, looking after kids, helping the vulnerable sector and elder population just in that little area. And, and then the obvious emergency planning, like who's mm -hmm. got backup generators if the power mm -hmm. goes mm -hmm. out? Like we're mm -hmm. hitting into climate crisis season right. here. Uh, we yeah. got stuff coming up where we have all kinds of possibilities of things that might not go well in the next six months in particular. How can we keep things afloat business-wise, community scale. We could all start teaming up and re-village into large, small pods. An eco-village is really just teams of people looking at environmental aspects of how they've designed their community setting. Ecological design isn't rocket science. We're looking at our footprint. We're trying to live sustainably. And then we're putting together the human and social with the economic as well. Brandy, how can people get a hold of you post podcast? Because I like I'm feeling compelled to come down to the eco village. I'm suddenly compelled to like create a whole entire series called Go Village about you know <laughs> how to make this happen locally for yourself, right? And and maybe how to get together a group of like minded people to start a, a local village. I mean, those are just some of the things that are happening for me in this one conversation. Our Eco Village has a website that is just simply that.org. Um, there's a contact form on there and just follow through with your questions, your ideas. Uh, if you have existing groups, which there is many of everywhere in British Columbia, never mind Canada, there's, there's people who are on the move. One thing we really support is not to reinvent the wheel in terms yes. of the legal the yes. financial yes. cost to mm -hmm. redo regulatory work is uh, also something that people should be working on cooperatively. So if you're in a town where a number of groups are working, work together, use each precedent that has happened in Canada mm -hmm. to replicate and or take the precedent further. I mean, again, this exists lots of places in the world, so we're not really all that innovative but we're trying yeah. to put the pieces of the puzzle back together and maybe you know remove the obstacles for for people to 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 get there faster on their on their own right just create yeah. a space for them to be able to do it themselves Brandy, i i mean i have just i love 
love what we're talking about. I'm super excited about sharing your wealth and your knowledge and your insights. And, and I feel like I know you a lot more intimately right now. And uh, yeah, congratulations on our, our eco village. And I appreciate everything that you do for Vancouver Island. And uh, yeah, is there anything else you would like to add before we head off for the day? Um, I think just an encouragement to all of us as communitarians and people who care. Someone lent me the acronym earlier this year when the pandemic first hit, and I will quote Gord Baird's, uh, we need gas in the tank right now to carry mm -hmm. forward where we have to go. And gas is an acronym for give a... Right. <laughs> so I, I encourage us all to uh, give up our fossil fuel level, but put the gas in in a very yes. different way. And that's the human heart intention and vision to see that we were born for this we're all villagers somewhere back in our ancestral realms in our lineage so we just kind of have to get out of our own way and start cooperating again awesome brandy thanks for joining us on canada's podcast i look forward to uh coming for an on-site visit soon we'll see you then and thank you so much for what you're doing and this is a, a great show of contributing what people need right now thank you all this podcast is sponsored by eBay Canada. eBay Canada is here to help. They've been supporting Canadian small business retailers for 25 years, and their up and running program is getting Canadian businesses online today. Visit ebay.ca forward slash up and running. Stay local and sell global with eBay.